0: This is the Third Degree Podcast, where one man is on one mission to cut through the noise, to present a hard-hitting, no-nonsense, and straight-talking approach to the biggest news stories and issues affecting you. Welcome to episode 52 of the Third Degree Podcast. My name is Sam Asad and today I'm going to be talking about the speech that a young climate activist delivered to the UN this week, which divided opinion for many. I'll also be talking about the blackface scandal involving Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. Plus, is it time for a female James Bond? All that and more on this edition of the Third Degree Podcast. Okay so let's just get right to it. I want to first talk about this young 16 year old Swedish girl named Greta Thunberg who has become an influential climate activist over the past year and this is someone who appeared on The Daily Show which is one of the biggest late night shows in the US. She's met with former President Barack Obama and earlier this year She was featured on the cover of Time magazine in which she was referred to as the next generation leader and mentioned that many see her as a role model. She's also been nominated for a Nobel Peace Prize. This teenager in less than a year has driven more attention and galvanized so many people towards the issue of climate change than arguably anyone else in history. It kind of reminds me of someone like Al Gore who was vice president of the US under Bill Clinton many years ago but he has been involved with the environmental activist movement for decades really became a spokesperson for the movement but I actually think Greta Thunberg is being taken much more seriously on this issue than Al Gore ever was. Al Gore has been upstaged by a 16-year-old girl what do you think about it (laughs) but I'm sure everyone saw this viral speech that Greta Thunberg did at the United Nations, in which she really admonished world leaders over what she believes is their inaction when it relates to addressing climate change and leaving the younger generation to deal with it with its impacts, and accused world leaders of quote stealing her dreams and her childhood. However, ever since that fiery speech, we've seen critics looking for an alternative motive behind her activism. We've seen personal attacks on how she speaks, how she looks. We've seen those ridiculing her, disparaging her, people going as far as to call her mentally ill. And here's the thing, any way you look at it, personal attacks from grown adults against a 16 year old is always going to look bad. It should not be encouraged or promoted. Of course, public figures are expected to be open to scrutiny because that comes with the territory. But at the end of the day, she's 16. She's a kid. And it looks like you're losing the argument when resorting to personal attacks and smear tactics. I think it is quite humorous, actually, how grown adults are getting so triggered over a 16-year-old girl. But in any event, I think focusing on the issue of climate change is fine. If you want to debate the effects of climate change then fine if you even want to call into question some of some of the claims that she has made about the effects of climate change and the long-term implications then that's also fine perfectly legitimate to disagree with the arguments she makes in my opinion because it's important to get the facts straight i don't believe just debating the views expressed can be construed as bullying a 16-year-old girl i think there's a lot of rhetoric out there in relation to Greta Thunberg on social media for example that no doubt I would say goes too far and crosses the line into bullying. And a lot of people are focusing heavily on the fact that she has Asperger's and how the emotion that she showed in her speech to the UN apparently calls into question her state of mind and that she must be fragile as a result. So I don't know much about Asperger's syndrome but I do know that those who have it can often, from a young age, focus on an interest very intensely. So it's perfectly reasonable to suggest that her behaviour when it comes to focusing on climate change is in part because of Asperger's Syndrome. And there has been a lot of talk about the amount of pressure on the shoulders of someone who is still a child and if someone that young should be on a stage this big... Which is a valid point to an extent. We've seen people who became famous singers or TV stars and reach a high level of fame at a very young age and then eventually they go down a dark path in life. That's not always the case, but it can happen. It's not exactly the same thing though, but I understand the point. I think there are people who have legit concerns about that. I think a lot of parents would, justifiably so, not want their child on a world stage like this because it leaves them open to criticism and scrutiny. However, I do believe a lot of people are feigning concern when it comes to her well-being. But let's look at the point fairly, because if you look into her backstory, she was having recurring nightmares about the impact of climate change on the planet, which in part led to her getting into a state of depression when she was 11 years old. She went through an eating disorder and anxiety attacks. She also has an obsessive compulsive disorder, which probably explains why her family said that she wouldn't let the idea go that the planet was warming up and couldn't understand why adults and policymakers were ignoring the issue. So, on one side, you could say that she may have an obsession that could become unhealthy over time, and she has a history of getting anxious over the issue she made a speech earlier this year in Davos Switzerland where she even said I want you to panic I want you to feel the fear I feel every day so she seems convinced that the end of the world is near she could be dealing with something called eco-anxiety which experts have said is becoming a real thing now to contend with I'll talk about that a little later on actually but on the other side though You could say, well, she has channeled her anxiety into productivity because she has said that, quote, Before I started school striking, I had no energy, no friends, and I didn't speak to anyone. I just sat alone at home with an eating disorder. All of that is gone now since I have found a meaning. Her mother has said that her daughter has never felt better since she's taken up this cause and Greta Thunberg herself has said that realizing that she could do something about climate change has helped her recover her father even said quote we respect that she wants to make a stand she can either sit at home and be really unhappy or protest and be happy so there is two sides to the argument and i think either way you look at it any kid at 16 years old is considered vulnerable So that should be taken into account, despite how impressive and articulate she has shown herself to be at such a young age. And when it comes to the talking point that she is being manipulated and exploited by some kind of sinister force to push this climate change agenda, whether the accusation being that her parents are treating their daughter like a puppet or big corporations having a vested interest in what she's doing, well... When it comes to the parents apparently masterminding the whole thing, again, if you read the backstory of Greta Thunberg, she started being interested in the world's climate when she was eight years old and her parents apparently didn't even care about the issue of climate change at first. They were far from climate activists before their daughter brought it to their attention and her mother was a successful opera singer and I read that she convinced her mother whose career depended a lot on travelling, to give up her international opera career because of the environmental effects of aviation. The parents have said that their daughter forced them to change their lives. And the mother said that at first she advised her daughter against striking and said she couldn't support her because she wanted to make sure that her daughter goes to school. So you can choose to believe that or not, But I've seen no clear undeniable evidence that she was pushed or persuaded to take up this cause. Her mother is one of the most celebrated opera singers in Sweden. Her father is an actor. So I would assume that the family is probably well off. I'm sure they are well situated financially. And in my opinion that debunks the claim that this is all being orchestrated by the parents for financial gain. The family even wrote a book and said all the profits would be donated to several different charities working on climate change and children with special needs. Money-hungry people just don't do that. And I would assume that she gets advice from her parents from time to time because she is still a kid. So of course that's going to happen. That's what parents do. Although sometimes I feel that her speeches are written or partly written by an adult, but she writes all of her speeches according to those close to her, which is not totally out of the realm of possibility. Greta Thunberg says that she's not part of any organisation, but sometimes supports and cooperates with several non-government organisations that work with the climate and the environment. However, there was a situation involving an entrepreneur and PR guru named Igmar renshog who says that he just happened to come across Greta Thunberg on his way to work on the first day of her school strike outside the front of Swedish Parliament last year and went on to urge others to join the protests as well. His company, which is called We Don't Have Time, is a startup social network for climate activism and it has claimed some success, or some credit I should say, some credit, for the success of Greta Thunberg's fame. And it is true that the company brought in 10 million in Swedish krona after Greta was invited onto its youth advisory board. And she says that she was briefly a youth advisor for the board but it turned out that they were using her name as part of another branch of the organization without her or the family's knowledge. And the company did apologize but once this became clear to Greta Thunberg and her family She stepped down from the Youth Advisory Board and then swore off any commercial interests moving forward. So it seems that this PR expert in part helped Greta popularise her story and her cause. But since a lot of money was made here, then you could make an argument that this company was exploiting her. And I think as well that there are some climate activist groups... Who are using Greta Thunberg as a prop to help spread their message because in part they want to appeal to a young audience. Now in terms of the claim that some sort of higher power like corporations or the establishment are pushing this ideology that the climate activists believe in and want to take advantage of its implementation, that may be true but that's a problem on the other side as well. There are big corporations and oil tycoons, for example, who you could say are profiting from ignoring climate change issues. You could make the argument that they are ignoring these concerns from climate activists for their own financial gain. A report released back in 2017 even showed that just 100 companies, mostly fossil fuel producers, have been the source of more than 70% of the world's greenhouse gas emissions since 1988. So that's a valid point to call attention to. But one thing I will disagree with is the report from the IPCC that came out last year that most climate change activists reference because some believe that the report was saying that we have only 12 years left to save the planet and that the world is going to end. It will cease to exist in 12 years. Doomsday will be upon us, if you will. And that's not exactly what the report said and don't take it from me take it from one of the co-authors of the IPCC report and climate scientist Miles Allen who said the details of the report doesn't mean we have 12 years to act it means we have to act now and even if we do success is not guaranteed and he goes on to say that if we don't cut emissions in half by 2030 quote will we have lost the battle and just have to hunker down and survive of course not the ipcc is clear that even reducing emissions as fast as possible we can barely keep temperatures below 1.5 degrees celsius so every year that goes by in which we aren't reducing emissions is another 40 billion tons of co2 that we are expecting today's teenagers to clean back out of the atmosphere in order to preserve warm water corals or arctic ice end quote So one of the authors of this report says people should be wary of the 12 years to climate breakdown rhetoric and wants people to stop saying that something catastrophic is going to happen in 12 years or 11 years I guess it is now. He also went on the record saying that setting a deadline may help people realise what's going on and realise actions need to be taken, but he stresses that even if we don't reduce emissions down by 50% by 2030, then it won't be too late to do something about it. He doesn't want people to think that there will be no point in addressing the climate change issue in 11 years time. But I took the report as more so focusing on the long-term effects of climate change, And not an impending sudden disaster that is coming our way. And I think it served as a warning that things could start spiraling out of control and get worse. So I do think that it's a little irresponsible and misleading to be going around telling children that the world will come to an end in 11 years time. Because a lot of children and people are worried, are really worried about that. So a lot of hysteria is being spread out there when it relates to the subject of climate change. There is a risk there, no doubt, but let's not exaggerate the situation. And I mentioned the term eco-anxiety earlier, and this is basically feeling anxious and worried about the present and future state of the environment. This is what I'm talking about. Because experts say that a rising number of children are being treated for eco-anxiety. Children are increasingly suffering anxiety and grief about climate change, and they warn parents against terrifying their children with talk of climate catastrophe. So I've got some examples and quotes from experts in the field here. And first is the chief scientific officer, Russell Schilling, from the American Psychological Association, who said, quote, it would not be surprising to find out that climate concerns are causing anxiety in some children, end quote. Another one here from Caroline Hickman, from the Climate Psychology Alliance, who says, quote, parents need to find some words to talk about it that is age appropriate and not terrifying. You need to separate what is fact from what is unknown. Tell them some species are going extinct, And some humans are being harmed, but don't say we're all going to die because that isn't true. What you don't want is that child to collapse in a well of depression saying, what's the point in going to university or what's the point of doing my exams, which I have heard children say, end quote. One more example here from Patricia Casey, who is a consultant psychiatrist in the Matter Hospital here in Dublin. She wrote a piece for The Independent and says, quote, Reports indicate that children are now getting nightmares, refusing to drink water and losing weight in their anxiety to try to save the world. Children and teenagers are fragile and need protection. Their thought processes are simple and binary. Does anybody really believe? that preventing the annihilation of the planet is something that should be heaped upon children. In an era of common sense, most people would believe this to be unreasonable and an aberration. Children should be protected from things that they cannot do much about, and climate change manifestly falls into this category." End quote. So, there you go. And there are people who actually disagree with all of that and say, well... Eco-anxiety may be necessary in order to have the impact to mobilize young people to do something about climate change. And I've heard the only effective way of dealing with eco-anxiety is by actually doing something with action. But is it right to push this narrative that mankind is doomed in 11 years and potentially sacrifice the mental and emotional well-being of children in order to prioritize an issue that most recognize to be the common good? Should that be worth potentially sacrificing at the expense of what most see as the greater good? I personally don't think so. And I think there's a lot of adults out there who are legitimately concerned about this eco-anxiety that could consume a child's life because there are millions of young people who have been convinced that the end of the world is on the horizon and as a result have been instilled with fear. But as I've stated before on previous podcasts, policy changes on world, federal, state and local levels need to be enacted. Governments around the world are expected to step up, but also, less importantly, individuals are expected to make a difference as well. How we all travel, the amount of energy we use, for example, which is no easy task. I'm not going to lecture people listening to this right now to change how they live their lives and pretend that, that I'm a strong climate activist because I'm simply not. But all I'm saying is that it is much tougher to convince people to change their habits and their lifestyles that they've grown accustomed to. So people can either support change or just throw their hands up in the air and say, well, it's too late, we can't stop climate change, we're not up to the task of reversing its effects. But climate change is a very real problem and a threat beyond a shadow of a doubt. A UN report released this week even explained that climate change is accelerating, with carbon dioxide levels increasing, sea levels rising, and ice sheets melting faster than ever. And governments around the world should be doing all they can to tackle the issue. If we take a look at some countries and how they're dealing with it, German Chancellor Angela Merkel put out a climate policy package worth at least 100 billion euro, which critics said did not go far enough, but in any event, it aims to get Germany back on track to meet their goal of reducing greenhouse gas emissions by 2030. The French President Emmanuel Macron announced a 20 million aid package recently to help Amazon countries fight wildfires and, and launch a longer-term global initiative to protect the rainforest. The UK announced recently that they will double its investment to help developing countries in their fight against climate change. When it comes to Ireland, according to the Climate Change Performance Index, which ranks countries in order of their performance in tackling climate change, Ireland is ranked as the worst performing country in Europe and among the worst in the world on climate action for the second year in a row. And Ireland is ranked 48th out of the 56 countries examined, And experts say that Ireland will be unable to achieve either its EU 2020 or 2030 emissions targets. So our country has a lot of catching up to do. Yes, it is true that Ireland did receive praise for being the first country in the world to commit to withdrawing public money invested in fossil fuels. Yes, it is true that during a speech at the UN Climate Summit this week, Taoiseach Leo Varadkar said that the Irish government had agreed to end oil and gas exploration because it is, quote, incompatible with a low-carbon future. But one thing to note about that, actually, is this only applies to future exploration licences rather than the existing licences that are in place right now, some of which run until 2034. So keep that in mind. Plus, according to a report from the Environmental Protection Agency, air pollution is responsible for an estimated 1,180 premature deaths in Ireland each year. Our air quality does not meet health-related guidelines set out by the World Health Organization. So you could say that Ireland is simply not doing enough to combat climate change. I do know, however, that the Irish government earlier this year published a climate action plan with 183 action plans which is probably the most ambitious plan that this government has ever put out to address climate change and an update on the first progress report on the climate action plan is going to be released next month actually so we'll find out how Ireland is doing in that respect. So it is great that all these countries I mentioned are contributing in some way but I think it's fair to say that these world leaders need to be putting more pressure on China and India for example because these countries are the ones who emit the most carbon. They're the ones who are the biggest contributors to greenhouse gases. But anyway back to Greta Thunberg. When it comes to her speech at the UN this week it did divide opinion. One group of people think climate change is a hoax and this 16-year-old girl is being used as a prop to force through change, another group of people applaud her for what she is preaching, another group of people actually agree with the message, but didn't feel comfortable watching how emotional she got during her speech to the UN. Some think that she came across as unstable, some think that she came across as passionate, some are trying to make this a parenting issue and say this is child abuse, and that they wouldn't allow their 16-year-old daughter to be put on this worldwide stage, speaking to a global audience, because she's going to get some pushback and criticism coming her way, and they believe it could have a negative effect on her in the long run as she grows up. Others say that her parents are just supporting their daughter's decision to pursue this cause, and when you think about it, Greta Thunberg is saying the same things that politicians and credible expert climate scientists been saying for years but now people seem to be taking it much more seriously now they seem to be more willing to take it on board when a 16 year old is telling them to listen to the science. And in terms of the protests where thousands of students across the country and across the world demanded more action from their government on climate change I've noticed that a lot of these young students here in Ireland are actually genuine on this issue surprisingly. However are there some students who just want the day off from school? Probably. Let's be fair about it. You can't say every single student is concerned about climate change. If it, was, if it was on a weekend, would they be so willing to take part? Maybe, maybe not. How many of these students actually live a greener life? A more eco-friendly life? I would guess the majority don't. Either way, the end result is that climate change becomes a headline story. The story gets worldwide coverage. And regardless, it gets people talking and caring about it and increasing environmental awareness. Although, I do think a lot of people engage in this this virtue signalling when talking about climate change, especially celebrities, because I think they see the appeal of being seen to be doing good in the eyes of so many others. For example, there was a summit put on by Google at a resort on the island of Sicily In back in July which many celebrities and business moguls attended and it was supposed to address how to deal with climate change but they all travelled to the island on private jets or private yachts or private helicopters so are they all willing to give up their lavish travel habits in order to minimise their carbon footprint? I don't think so. Look at Prince Harry for example. He travels the world in a private jet to warn people about climate change And then he also says that he and his wife will have no more than two children because of concerns for the environment. And it's perfectly fine to say I just want two children. A lot of couples want no more than two children. It's normal. But to then suggest that this choice that you are making is for the sake of the planet, then you're opening yourself up to be called out for hypocrisy. All I'm saying is that if you're going to preach about climate change, then you have a responsibility to lead by example. Say what you want about Greta Thunberg, but at least she sailed across the Atlantic to New York from Europe to attend the UN Climate Summit to mitigate her carbon footprint. Because she mentions how air travel contributes to some of the highest emissions. Air travel is a huge contributor to climate change. So for the critics, at the very least, she should be commended for doing that. And yeah, I know, I know that people thought it was a, pub- a publicity stunt. And yeah, I know afterwards some, some of the crew members she was with had to fly back. But at least you can see that this 16-year-old girl did, in fact, talk the talk and walk the walk, as the expression goes, unlike most of these celebrities. So I expect Greta Thunberg to be sticking around for a long time and I'm sure we'll be hearing more and more about her in the foreseeable future. But let's move on now and talk about the Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau who was basically caught with his pants down so to speak and as a result his liberal progressive golden boy image has been tarnished because a picture of him wearing brown face makeup in 2001 At an Arabian Nights themed party was released. And then a high quality video from the early 1990s was published showing Trudeau in blackface. And even had his neck and his hands and his legs completely darkened as well. And Trudeau has publicly apologised and said the photos and the video was racist. And said he should have known better. Now is he really sorry? Probably so. I will admit that I have my doubts when politicians who have something to lose apologise when something problematic comes out about them because they want to protect their majority, of course. But regardless, the timing of this is quite interesting considering that an election is coming up in Canada and it has been damaging to Trudeau and his chances of re-election. Before the pictures came to light, the Liberals and the Conservatives were statistically tied in most national polls in Canada, but recent polls I saw suggested that the blackface scandal has caused the Liberal Party support to decrease slightly. The latest poll I saw showed that the Conservatives are polling at 36%, while Trudeau's Liberal Party is polling at 32%. But I've seen some polling that suggests that this scandal may not have had as big of an impact as anticipated. I've seen some polling suggesting that people believe that Trudeau's apology was adequate enough and would like to see him continue on as Prime Minister anyway. So, Justin Trudeau did blackface three times, at least three times that we know of, but Trudeau was unable to say how many times he had done it. So, there could have been more cases of this. Even he can say... For sure that it was only three. So I think it's important to point out that the picture wasn't taken in the 50s or the 60s or the 70s or the 80s. It was a picture from 2001 and he was 29 years old at the time. Nearly 30. Not a stupid young kid by any means. So you can't rush to the argument that oh well, it was a different time and he was only a kid and kids make mistakes and do stupid things when they're young and ignorant. Their argument is invalid in my view. Plus, he was a teacher. So he should have been aware that what he did could be seen as racist and could cause offence. Plus, it was reported that he was the only person at this Arabian Nights party in brownface. So it appears that back in 2001, the reaction and outrage to something like this would not be as prominent as it would be if someone did it in 2019. Although, during my research, I found that in November of 2001, fraternities at two Southern universities in the US were disciplined because students in blackface attended Halloween parties. So it wasn't regarded as appropriate behavior at that time. And we should also consider the video of him in blackface from the 90s. But here's the thing. Blackface is generally considered racist, disrespectful and offensive. There's a history of people using blackface to play up stereotypes, to demean and dehumanise African-Americans. The history of blackface is in fact rooted in racism. There's no arguing that point. And when it comes to Trudeau, in my opinion, I think that this was a misjudgment on his part because he doesn't strike me as the type of guy who would be racist intentionally by doing blackface or brownface or, or whatever you want to call it. Justin Trudeau is not someone who possesses racist tendencies. I think that's evident by his record as Prime Minister. I think he is someone who engages in identity politics a lot, but this is someone who in 2017 said that Canada will welcome nearly 1 million immigrants Over the next three years. He has a record of promoting the rights of refugees, he promotes very progressive policies, he has a diverse cabinet, he touts how Canada is a very diverse and multicultural place that offers inclusion for all. So I don't believe that he is deep down a racist person, that he has prejudice towards people of color, although I can see why most people believe dressing up in blackface to imitate black people in general is a racist act because of the historical connotations. But this also brings up the wider conversation about if you do something 20 years ago, for example, should it define you for the rest of your life? If someone changes and grows over time, if someone evolves over time and it shows through their actions, then should they be fired? Should they, in this case, step down from political office? Should someone's ignorance from the past define you as a person for life? Well first I'll say that I don't think he should resign over this and the only people who really believe that he should resign are either his political opponents who say Trudeau has lost the moral authority to govern or super conservative hard right anti-liberal people who rail against this PC culture that Trudeau has pandered to. But they do bring up a valid point in my view and that's if you were to substitute Trudeau for Trump, for example, or any other right-wing politician, then the left would go berserk and call for that person to resign and be shown from society. I think it's a fair point, and if a similar picture was published of one of his conservative rivals, if they were caught in a similar situation, then Trudeau, along with his supporters, would probably take the moral high ground, be outraged, And may say that he or she should resign. So this brings up the whole issue once again of double standards which has plagued the political discourse for a long time. And we've seen this whole situation in recent years of celebrities being targeted and criticised for some of their past statements and actions which are now seen as controversial. And in some cases it's well deserved but I've noticed that in some cases this standard doesn't apply to all people equally. For example, there are Trudeau supporters saying, well, it was wrong, but it happened 20 years ago. But they didn't give others a pass based on when something scandalous happened. And Trudeau is someone who in the past said that the same standards would apply to him if an accusation of sexual misconduct came out against him. He said that women who come forward with accusations of sexual assault and harassment must be supported and believed. But last year, he did deal with with an allegation that he had groped a woman at a fundraiser back in the year 2000. Granted, he did apologise to the woman at the time and said he respects the fact that someone else might have experienced the interaction differently, but still said that he was confident that he did not act inappropriately. So it appeared that he went from saying women should be believed and those same standards should apply to me to... Oh the allegation against me may be true, my accuser may have seen it a different way but I'm pretty sure I didn't act inappropriately. So is it a case of having a set of standards for yourself and then another set of standards for everyone else? But moving on, when it comes to those on the right who are not big fans of Justin Trudeau, they're also being a tad bit hypocritical and contradicting themselves by calling for his resignation because... These are the same people who love to talk passionately about how they are strongly in favour of free speech and would most likely say one of their own did nothing that warrants a resignation if in a similar situation. However, their point mainly seems to be that, well, Trudeau should adhere to the same standards that he and his supporters have set for others. They don't want him gone necessarily because they believe what he did was ground for stepping down, but because Trudeau and fellow liberals go out of their way to try and not cause offence. I mean, this is the same guy who said that we should use the term people kind instead of mankind. So there are those who say, well, Trudeau on the left, they like to tell everyone else the proper way to behave in society. They advocate for cultural sensitivity and would like everyone else to do the same. So thus he should have to step down because if you live by the sword, then you should die by the sword, as the expression goes. But after this scandal, there are those who also say Trudeau should no longer be one of the sword carriers of the liberal movement moving forward. So I think refusing to resign and insisting that this is not a resignation matter, it does lead people to debate about how hypocritical this appears. I think it's important that despite this particular scandal, Justin Trudeau has implemented some controversial policies over the years that are being overlooked. For example, he violated ethics laws because Canada's ethics commissioner released a report back in August saying that Justin Trudeau violated ethics rules when he tried to pressure his former Justice Minister and Attorney General to drop criminal charges against a major Canadian engineering company accused of corruption related to its business dealings in Libya. He approved an oil pipeline expansion which angered many environmental and indigenous groups that opposed the project. He has also defended arms sales to Saudi Arabia. He says that the sale of more than 900 armoured vehicles is in line with Canada's foreign and defence policies. But Saudi Arabia still remains one of the worst when it comes to human rights violations. And critics look at that and think, well how can this Prime Minister say how progressive... And feminist he is when he sells arms to a country where women are often treated as second-class citizens. So I think these damning images shouldn't shift focus away too much from his actual performance as Canadian Prime Minister. But to finish up on this story, Trudeau is being questioned now if his public image is in line with his private actions. People are having their doubts if he is still a united figure. When it relates to the pictures The intent from Trudeau may not have been to be racist. He may have felt at the time that putting on brown or black makeup was not a racist act. But that doesn't mean others who see it can feel that it was racist. That ended up being how most people felt about it. Some of which may have experiences of dealing with racism and bigotry. So why don't we just all agree that blackface is wrong and never a good idea and never appropriate under any circumstances? (laughs) Let's just draw a line under it from now on. Don't incorporate race into a costume for a party. Doesn't matter what the context is, whether you meant for it to be racist or not. It's going to cause a backlash anyway you look at it. And we all know that Halloween is coming up, so if anyone out there is thinking about getting some black makeup because you are extra passionate about costumes than is sometimes appropriate, like Mr. Trudeau was many years ago, then I'd say not a wise idea, because those pictures may come back to haunt you someday. But when it comes to Justin Trudeau, he and the Liberal Party may have enough time to turn it around and recover from this and win re-election. It's an outcome that is not totally out of the realm of possibility, despite the fallout of this scandal. So we'll have to wait and see on October 21st, if Trudeau can bounce back and remain in office. So moving on now to some more lighter stories, I guess you could say, that I wanted to talk about. First up is the James Bond movies. You may have heard about the speculation on a woman possibly taking over the role after Daniel Craig. Well the debate was brought up again when Pierce Brosnan who played the role of James Bond in four movies said that it's time to pass the role on to a female actor saying quote I think we've watched the guys do it for the last 40 years get out of the way guys and put a woman up there I think it would be exhilarating it would be exciting end quote. So let me say this right off the bat I like Pierce Brosnan. I think he's a tremendous actor I personally feel that he is the best actor who played the role of James Bond I know that is an unpopular opinion as most people would go with Sean Connery but for me Pierce Brosnan will always be Bond when I think of that character the first person who pops into my head is Pierce Brosnan and I suppose that's mostly because when I was growing up when I was first introduced to the character and the Bond franchise the first Bond movies I saw were the ones with Pierce Brosnan in them. Plus, I remember spending hours playing Goldeneye on the Nintendo 64, which is one of the most iconic video games in history. Everyone, everyone was playing that game at the time. And I wish that he did a couple more Bond movies after Die Another Day, because that movie was a poor final outing for him as the Bond character. Not his fault. The story was just really, really bad, to put it bluntly. (laughs) It was terrible. And I do think it's a shame that Pierce Brosnan said at one point that he has no desire to watch himself as James Bond because he thinks that it's just not good enough. I disagree with that. But with all due respect to Pierce Brosnan, he is simply wrong on this debate of a female James Bond because why try to fix something that's not broken? And there are female voices in Hollywood who don't agree with the idea either. For example, actress Rachel Weiss, who is the actual wife of Daniel Craig, who plays Bond Now, said quote, Ian Fleming devoted an awful lot of time to writing this particular character who is particularly male and relates in a particular way to women. Why not create your own story rather than jumping onto the shoulders and being compared to all those other male predecessors? Women are really fascinating and interesting and should get their own stories, end quote. And she's 100% right. Perhaps women are underrepresented in film these days, but the answer is not to take the role and replace the character's gender entirely because it was originally intended for a male since its inception back in the 1960s. And I understand the idea of changing with the times, but who's to say that this is the change that the Bond franchise needs moving forward? I have no problem with the producers of James Bond doing a series of spin-off movies where it's all about a female spy agent under a different name, I think most people would get behind the idea. And then maybe if those series of movies become successful, then someday that down the line, you could do a crossover in which it's James Bond and the female spy agent teaming up to take on the villain or whatever. You want to do that? Great! You have my full support because at least you're writing and creating a separate character, a separate story for an actress to build a legacy on and thus it will be its own thing. It will become its own series of movies featuring a strong female character. It needs to stand on its own. I know that in the new Bond movie called No Time to Die which is coming out next year in April, Daniel Craig is still playing the James Bond character but a woman played by Lashana Lynch will have the 007 code name in the movie. I think it's supposed to be at the start of the film. I know this caused quite a stir when it first came out. I'm not really hung up on the code name, but you see in the last Bond movie, Spectre, at the end Bond appears to retire from the job of being a secret agent. So in the upcoming Bond movie, from what I understand, he is then rallied out of retirement to help with a mission. So I suppose that would explain why, for storyline purposes, the moniker of 007 has been taken by someone else, and it just so happens to be a woman. I don't mind that, to be honest. It could just be for the purposes of this one movie and for the storyline, or maybe or maybe they're testing the water a little bit by putting a female in there. But the producer of the Bond movie said last year, quote, Bond is male, He's a male character, he was written as a male, and I think he'll probably stay as a male. End quote. So she seems to support the idea that the character of Bond should stay true to its original creation. But I know a lot of these producers in Hollywood like to be seen as progressive and feminist, so I'm sure the idea of casting a female in this particular role, which is usually occupied by a male, would excite them, but it's not the right call in my opinion. Financially, they probably think it's fantastic because, for example, Wonder Woman made $821 million worldwide. So leading roles for women in the industry has proven to be good for business from time to time. And also, I just think that it's not a great precedent to set moving forward. Because if you do it, let's say you do it, and then what's stopping people in the future saying, well, a um, oh, Wonder Woman, uh, I think a man should play that role it should be a male role it should be wonder man i know it sounds silly but like you know what's stopping people from saying that down the line if you insist on doing this so in this context i don't think the long tradition of the james bond character should be sacrificed but anyway moving on finally i want to talk about the area 51 raid you may have heard about this event that was created on facebook in which the plan was to storm area 51 but this was something that was just a joke at first. It wasn't supposed to be taken seriously. And then it quickly gained momentum. To the point where plans had to be put in place. To handle a potentially massive crowd. Because people were determined to get as close as possible to Area 51. And even storm raid the facility. In an attempt to get a glimpse of aliens. That they believe are stored inside I guess. And more than 2 million people or would through the Facebook event page. But in the end, there was no actual raid, only about 1,500 to 3,000 people showed up, a couple hundred made it to the main gate, and, and about five people were arrested. But mostly the gathering went ahead without incident. And for those who don't know, Area 51 is this secretive facility in the state of Nevada in the U.S., which some people believe contains a lot of top-secret projects such as weather control, time travel, alien technology, alien bodies. It does sound very conspiratorial. The base has been, sub- has been the subject of conspiracy theories for many years. And it is true that the CIA only publicly officially acknowledged the existence of Area 51 for the first time back in 2013 following a Freedom of, of Information Act request that was filed in 2005. But in all likelihood, I'd say it's just a research base for developing and testing advanced military weapons systems and aircrafts. The US Air Force even says that it is used as an open training range. And that is probably all it is. But hey, maybe the US government knows more than they let on about UFOs, for example. But on this topic of aliens, to be honest, I think it's possible that aliens exist. I know it's one of those things people think about and dismiss and say, oh, that's just something you'd see in the movies, in sci-fi movies, in TV shows. That would never happen in real life. But I don't know. I think it's at least possible. I'm not saying I believe it for a fact that aliens exist. I've never come in contact with aliens or seen a UFO in person, or I've never been abducted by aliens and probed, thank God. But I think it's possible that we are not alone in this universe. There could be another life form out there. But you know what? If I was an alien, okay? Just follow me on this. If I was an alien, I wouldn't make contact with planet Earth. I wouldn't make contact with humans. Because if I'm an alien, and I show myself to humans, what's going to happen to me? Most likely I'm going to be caged up and then I'm going to be split open because scientists will want to see what's inside me and see what makes me tick and understand more about aliens for research purposes and to further their scientific knowledge of the universe. So if I was an alien, I would steer clear of this planet and humans, okay? (laughs) But nonetheless, this Area 51 raid event started out as a laugh, it started out as a meme and then manifested into something bigger and even though nobody saw any aliens there was no sign of extraterrestrial life on this occasion it looked like people had fun. If you saw the pictures and the videos from the event it looked like a festive atmosphere. So that's all that matters. So that is all the time I have. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and Stitcher Radio. You can also check out my website, which is samasad.com, where you can find more of my content. So this has been yet another edition of the Third Degree Podcast. And I'll catch you next time. sure to subscribe to the podcast on itunes and stitcher radio and visit us at thirddegreepodcast.com this has been another edition of Of the the third Third degree Degree Podcast. podcast